Opinion of it. I think it was put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, and talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. World champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, he is Sell the team. Oh yeah, from the CSB studios in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR Radio Network. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. And just kind of want to get right into things as we start out today. I'm joined by a former pitcher for the San Francisco Giants in the uh, 1970s, and that's John DiAquisto. John, thanks for calling in today, buddy. How you doing, John? Hey, good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for holding for a couple minutes, man. I was just uh, just getting the show started today, my man. Yeah, it's all right. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little intro I got. Hey, first of all, and a little update on the health, man. How you been feeling? Everything been going well for you lately? Absolutely very well. Uh, I got through my two surgeries, uh, uh, came out of it, no problems, uh, recovering now, Uh, walking around like a a young kid. Uh, uh, It's amazing what the medical technology can do these days. It uh, has totally changed my life and gotten me back up on my feet. Now, it seems it seems like it's great, man. Uh, you know, like I said, we were we were all wishing you the best. You know, I think the last time I talked to you, you were, you know, you're planning on having the, you know the operation or operations, and you know, I'm glad to see everything went well with it. Yeah, it went really well, John. I'm very very pleased. Uh, uh, the pain is gone completely, 100. Uh, percent I I have not had to take any pain medication for about uh, close to two and a half months now. Nah, that's Since awesome. Yeah, since I finished my last surgery, the pain just went away, which is what I was suffering through. Believe me. Now that's great to know everything's going well, man. Just get right into things, man. I know you. Uh, I know you got some perspective here on the uh, the thing with the Giants and Tim Lincecum and stuff like that. First of all, yes. get get into a little bit of your opinion. Do you think that he should have? Uh... Uh, actually, 
you know, I can understand where, where Bochy was going because of the unsurety that Tim might have a bad game, might have a good game. You know, he wanted to go with the high hand. And most most of the most of the managers, when they get into playoffs, they want to go with guys that are showing consistency. And Tim Tim was Tim was showing consistency from from the halfway point on, but near the end he kind of kind of fell off a little bit, and I can't, that kind of put Bruce in a position. But actually putting him in that position where he could use him in the bullpen actually ended up benefiting the Giants and getting him into the playoffs. So, you know, you never know until you get there. You never know until you get there. You never know how it's going to benefit you. But uh, I see he changed his mind rather fast when he only gave up one run in, what, eight and the third innings? Yeah, he didn't pitch that bad at all, man. He, I, he actually uh... – Certainly led them in that one that one game they won against the Reds with nice nice performance four plus innings just giving up just the one run, and it seems like yep. he's uh, he's he's gotten a little bit a uh, little bit more command. I don't know if uh, being in the bullpen has actually helped him, but you know he seemed to have got himself on a little bit of a regimen. I think going into the game just pitching from the stretch, you know it seems like all little things that seem to help him out a little bit. I think it'll. Um, I think it'll help him out today. What do you think about him in uh, coming into this start today in a uh, game? Game four of the NLCS. Well, I think he's going to do very well. Uh, I really do. And uh, a lot of that, a lot of consistency came from correcting his problem, which I saw he did. And it was exactly what you and I have, have been talking about, you know, that he's thrown against his body and, you know, he needed to open up more, land on the ball of his foot more. Well, those things were corrected. And, and, and the consistency, and the other thing is the velocity is back. He was throwing 89 miles an hour. He's throwing 93, 94 now. Yeah, so, that's, you know, that's make, making those types of corrections is, is very important, especially now. And having him go to the bullpen is, is, is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for any pitcher. I had the experience of going to the bullpen and having success. It, it can be something that some guys have light switches that they can turn on and off and come out and perform. Other guys, that they turn on the light switch when they're a starter, and they end up not getting any sleep at night and come out and can't perform. That was part of my problem when I pitched. You know, I, they, they wouldn't tell me I was going to start when I was in San Diego and spot started. They, they would tell me the day I was at the ballpark. Roger Craig would walk up to me and hand me the ball. And I'd say, what's this for? He said, you're starting tonight. I said, oh, okay, fine. But that was the type of thing I could turn the light switch on. Tim Linscombe may have been falling into that because when you have a lot of problems coming at you and it's about mechanics and, and you're reaching out and grabbing for stuff, then finally someone figures out a way how to get around that, which they finally him uh, greatly and the team greatly. Going into St. Louis, he pitches well in that park. He pitches well against the Cardinals. And Tim's the type of kid that likes, uh, likes a challenge. He likes to be challenged. He likes to go out there and pitch – in tough situations, I think he hunkers down a little bit more when he has that ability to pitch in a tough game like that. He's shown a lot, a lot of, a lot of intestinal fortitude uh, in, in, in his last couple of appearances, and I think he's just getting better, and that's why I look for him to throw really well tonight. Yeah, and I'll tell you, from the Giants' perspective, it doesn't hurt you know, bringing a two-time Cy Young Award winner in out of your bullpen in the middle of a series. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a benefit for the Giants. And let's let's be honest. I mean, we all know the Giants have, have some very good starting pitching from Matt Cain to 
Vogelsong and Baumgartner and you know even Barry Zito, a guy who you know is taking a lot of criticism for his contract and everything, actually had a very good 2012 season. So uh, you know I think I think I think the Giants are you know are bringing it pitching wise, and it's just a you know a matter of uh, you know them you know how, how things go with St. Louis. I mean I think this is two very evenly matched teams. I wouldn't be too surprised yeah. to see either team make it to the World Series. How about a little on that, John? Uh, what do you think about uh, the matchup between the Cardinals and the Giants? I, I tend to agree with you 100% on that, John. They're very evenly matched, especially in, 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 in the pitching department. Uh, in, in the hitting department, they, they're equally astute on both sides. They've got guys that can hit in the clutch. They got, the, the guys that they've got playing defensively are, are very sound. Their shortstops are almost identical in Crawford and Rosa, uh, Rosma, and, and and you look and you look at the whole team clear across the board. They're almost like twin brothers, if you, if you want to call it that way. The only thing is that that the Cardinals might have the edge on on the closer, but you know Casilla has been doing a very fine job for Brian Wilson, being that Brian Wilson has been you know missing missing this whole year, but. All in all, I agree with you. I, I think they're very, very close. And either one of them goes to the World Series, it's going to be a, a, a fine representation of the National League, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I can see either one of those teams winning the whole thing. And I, I think you touched on something very interesting. I do, you know, you got to see overall. I think the uh, Cardinals, if they had a distinct advantage in every facet, it's probably their bullpen. You know, not only yeah. that they got Jason Mott, who is seems to be at the top of his game right now, but they – they got about two or three other relievers that are throwing between about 95 and 100 now. And it yep. really, I mean, Mike Matheny really has a good, like, arsenal to pick from if he wants to start going to, you know, pitchers in the sixth or seventh inning. While the Giants, yes, they have some good pitchers. Cassia is good. Sergio Romo is, has, has done a very good job over the last couple of years. But I, I, I think the, the Cardinals kind of have a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the bullpen right now. You're absolutely correct, John. And, and that's what I see. In those particular positions, and being one that was in that particular position, having that 95 to 100 mile an hour fastball does not hurt one bit. And this is one thing: if you go back and you look at at, at Valverde in, in Valverde's position as as with the Detroit Tigers, and why they took him out of that position, he was trying to throw that fastballs in, in a situation, and they're only 92. 92 is what I made for hitters these days. You have to have at least above 95. Because the eyes don't react as well at 95 miles an hour or higher. That's agreed, man. Now, do you think, um, and I, I don't want to get into this too much, but what, do you think that it's it, it's imperative nowadays for a closer to have to throw that hard, or somebody that has some some uh, you know some very good off speed but a little differently can handle the role nowadays? I, I think that it's more important for a reliever to come in and throw hard and throw strikes. And basically, all situation pitching from seventh inning on is the important innings, seventh, eighth, and ninth. And if you've got a guy that comes in and throws 95 to 100 miles an hour, 95 to 98 to be more realistic, which is what we're seeing out of the St. Louis bullpen, they're going to keep the ball away from the power hitters. And, and with that type of type of pitch coming up, having the breaking ball to go with it is an extra on top of it. It's icing on the cake for a reliever to have a good slider. I had a good slider. I had a cutter. I had a sinker. If you got three pitches, you don't need to be changing speeds in these situations because as a starter, you would establish your fastball in the first three innings, 
And then the second three innings, you would establish your off-speed pitches and your breaking ball. And then in the last three innings, you, you would come back and close them down with the fastball again. And, you know, and that's how, how you have to think about using your pin in that same kind of modality is come back and close them out with hard stuff and, and hard sliders. And, and look what Mott's, Mott's got a slider, too. Not a bad slider. You yeah. know, and you, you, you add that to the pitcher, and it makes for a good combination of a winning cause. Yeah, absolutely. And if you watch the way my pitch last night, he pretty much stuck with just all fastballs. He came in there for the two yeah. innings that he, that he pitched. He went there just high fastballs, you know, and ended up getting pretty quick outs. A lot of a lot of a lot of hitters looking at looking like they got the timing, yeah. uh, then they started their swing and they realized they were just a tad bit behind it. That's exactly right, John, and that's exactly what I'm trying to to, to make the point about. And, and that you and I are making the point about is that you come at them hard, it is very difficult to recover from that. Very difficult. And, and you know, I, 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 being an ex-giant, but I also play for the Cardinals, you know, I look both ways. And, and, and look at, looking at, you know, the two teams evenly, the edge goes to the Cardinals and the bullpen. It really does. Yeah, it, it does right now. But like I said, I, and I, I think you agree with me, it, it, it's pretty close to evenly matched. I don't think either one of us will be surprised to see either one of those teams make the World Series. But, John, I want to no. get your opinion on this because the last time we talked, we were talking about Steven Strasburg and the innings limit and stuff yeah. like that. And obviously, uh, you know, the, the Nationals ended up cutting Strasburg's innings towards the end of the season mm-hmm. in September, costing him a chance to start in the postseason. And, you know, you can make the case that Strasburg not being on a postseason roster possibly cost the Nationals to uh, make a serious run at the pennant this year. What do you think about that whole thing in a way it transpired? Well, I've been very, very up and front about it and vocal about it. And I've written a couple of things and uh, that if you were going to cut his innings, I would have cut him in the beginning of the year, got him got him ready for the rest of the season, let him finish out. What they did was a reverse. They, they, they ended up shutting him down at the end of the year, and the kid was distraught because of the fact he wanted to pitch. And, and you know, if he was going to hurt himself, John, he would have hurt himself in the middle of the year, all right? Not after throwing 160 innings. Come on. You know, I mean, he, he, the kid's throwing good. And, and because he had a bad game, we all have bad games. Yep. But that doesn't mean you have to shut him down. You know, he's the type of kid who, who would have come back from that bad game and probably shut you out with a three-hitter. You know, missing Strasburg at the end of the series, and I'm not trying to be a Monday morning quarterback or anything, but you and I both know we talked about this before it even happened, okay? And, and that the effect of not having Strasburg in that rotation was the one game that they lost and the one game that put them out of the playoffs because they had to go all the way to the very end win the game, and guess what happened that they beat him at the end. If Strasburg was in that game, Strasburg would have probably shut him down and had, had pretty decent stuff, but he could have also blown up. No, that's know, fair. But that's... either way, the percentages I see is Strasburg would have pitched good. Yeah, okay? I think, I think you make the odds that he probably would have. Go in the playoffs again to the next level. No, I agree, man. Now, I think one, yeah. th- one thing we got to look at, do you think that the Nationals in any way kind of didn't expect a big season? Now, I don't think you ever want to go into a season, no matter what team you are, whether you're good, you're bad, whether you have potential. You know, I think you always want to go into the season, uh, you know, thinking the best-case scenario. 
Do you think there was anything to the fact that maybe Mike Rizzo thought this team was another year away in the way that he handled Strasburg and pitching him opening day and running him out there knowing that he was going to have to cut him off after about 160 innings? Yeah, I really don't know because, you know, Davey Johnson was totally against it. Uh, You know, Steve McCaddy, talk about throwing a lot of innings, Steve McCaddy with Oakland, one of my teammates, I know he's against it. Uh, you know, so, and, and the comments that John, Johnson, Davey Johnson, he's, he's old school. He's old school. So, you know, he, he, he wanted the kid to pitch. This came strictly from Mike Rizzo. And, and I don't know if it was Steven Strasburg's parents talking, talking to uh, Mike Rizzo about pitching a kid. I don't know if there was any involvement there. But I, I had heard something said along, the, uh, along those lines that there may have been. Uh, I doubt that very much because Strasburg's his own man. He's from Santee, California, and and you know we watched that kid that kid grow up as a pitcher uh, from San Diego, and and seeing him throw and seeing what he can do, you know, and then when he went to state and what he was doing, he he was well looked at. As a kid, a competitor, you know, why you want to shut him down? How many innings would he have thrown, John? Thirty, maybe thirty. In the playoffs, if we look at it, maybe that, maybe, and and I'm saying 30 more on top of 160 is not going to hurt this kid. It's not going to hurt this kid. There is no reason to shut him down. No reason to shut him down. No, and, absolutely, and, absolutely. And not. It, yeah, and it ended up costing him. It really did, in my opinion. Hey, I'm going to just throw one more thing at you, and I'm not going to try to sound too biased by it, but unfortunately, it's just okay. you know, it's my biased opinion. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that there's any correlation with what was said about Scott Boris, his agent, you know, being in favor of the innings limit? Because I actually don't even believe that, number one. And number two, I just don't I just don't I just don't see how an agent is gonna have that kind of influence over the amount of innings that somebody pitches. No, I agree with you. And Scott Boris had made a statement, nobody contacted him or talked to him. No one talked to Dr. Yoakum either. Okay? Nobody talked to Dr. Yoakum, and nobody talked to Scott Boros. And I saw two statements, and one was off of Fox, and one was off of CBSSports.com. And both of them said, had the same quote. No one contacted him to discuss this with him. So I don't think Scott Boros had that unless he I, – I, I don't know, Scott, to have, you know, talked talk about any falsehoods, but, you know, I don't think Scott Boros had any, any input at all in this decision at all. And if anything, the decision was made by ownership and by Mr. Rizzo. Absolutely, man. I agree 100% with you, John. Once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with former Giants pitcher John D'Aquisto. Now, John, uh, you know, last week, uh, you know, fortunately baseball was, was saddened by the passing of former Major League infielder and outfielder Champ Summers. Now, I, I like yeah. you, I'm a pretty good friend of Billy Staples. I saw, you know, that he actually yeah. was able to make the trip down to Florida to see him before he ended up passing away. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, about Champ Summers and anything, maybe something that we don't know about him. Well, Champ, Champ was a great guy to have around uh, in the clubhouse. Uh, he, kept, he kept everybody loose. He was a character, you know, always up, always smiling. And you got to remember one thing, Champ, Champ was in Vietnam as well as Gary Maddox at the same time, same era. And, you know, Champ was a, 
was a very strong individual, but uh, a leader for, for for being on a team and, and having uh, basically a pinch hit role and, and, and playing periodically. You know, he was really one of the leaders and mainstays on our team, as you know, when he was with the Padres. And, you know, it, it was it was sad, sad to hear, because I know Bill was really close with, with him, but uh, when Billy and I were talking, Champ, Champ was, was the, the guy that you could go to and ask him a question, he'd give you a straight answer. He'd give you a straight answer, and he would help you. He had a heart of gold. And, you know, it was just having him around was, was one of the best things for a team to have. And that's why he, he stayed around a lot. Plus, he could hit as a pitch hitter. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. He started out in Detroit. He went to Cincinnati. You know, he went to the Giants and went to the Padres. You know, he was with teams that needed his ability and, and more so needed his leadership. And, you know, he was just, he was just a good guy. And I, I remember when we were at San Diego and Jay Johnston was on the ball club, one of his old teammates from Philadelphia. <laughs> and Jay, Jay and myself and, and Champ, we, we got some surgical tubing to put it on the end of a back. And we were in Philly, and Ron Reed was the pitcher. And uh, Jay went up to hit and took a swing and launched the bat over at Ron Reed, and, and the bat recoiled and came back to, to Jay. And this was a, this was in a real game. This wasn't in spring, and everyone was dying laughing, dying laughing. And, and Champ was behind us, but he was kind of a practical joker too. You know, it was, uh, it was he, he was he was he was really. Good to have around. Really good to have around, and he will be missed. And I'm glad Billy got got to go see him before he did pass, because I know that meant a lot to Billy. And Billy called called me up, and Billy and I are very very close. And uh, he called me up and told me what was happening. And he's like, well, I don't know if you knew that, but Marvin's mm-hmm. on his last last leg also. And uh, you know, those are two things that I got hit with, and you know, being pretty close with Champ. Well, you know, that kind of saddened me quite a bit. No, it definitely did. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, of course, you know, I'm a little bit younger. I actually never got to see Champ play live. But the one memory when I think of Champ Summers is I remember that, uh, you know, that beanball game in 1984 against the Atlanta Braves with Pasquale Perez. And I remember the scene of Champ Summers running from the Padre dugout over towards the Braves dugout to try to get at Perez. But that's, you know, I that's think right. of Champ Summers, and I kind of think of that little little part of that video that's always out there. That's about it too, John. He was he was a very tough individual, and he stuck up for his players. And that's why I said, leadership-wise, he brought that into the clubhouse. He brought that magnetism into the, into the clubhouse. He was he was just a great guy to have around. He he he'd give he'd give the shirt off his back to his fellow teammates. You know, he he to protect you, to protect you. Uh, totally old school. One of the top old school players that I can remember. Of course, we all were back then, but he was real old school. You know, uh, retaliation, eye for an eye, don't mess with my guys. You know, you want to mess with my guys, you're going to have to mess with me type kind of attitude. And, you know, it kind of played through his whole career. That's how he was. Yeah, absolutely, man. That definitely describes him. And, you know, fortunately, you know, the game, the game is going to miss him being around. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, I think, like I said, I, I'll reiterate what you just said. I mean, a great, a great job by Billy Staples getting down there and getting a chance to meet with him and speak with him uh, before his un, you know, unfortunate passing. Yes, yes, it was. It was good. Billy's been real good at doing that for a lot of guys. He makes the extra effort. And that's why I love a guy. And he does a lot for guys in our era. And and then some, too. Uh, he he goes the extra mile. You know, he, he wants to make you feel comfortable that you're not being uh, unrecognized or, or uh, not remembered. And for him to be able to go and see Marvin and to go and see Champ, you know, he really goes the extra mile. He absolutely and does. I think, I think my hat off to him and for what he does for, for our, our players. And unfortunately, John, I don't know if you've noticed it, but a lot of our guys in our era have really been falling, falling to, you know, to, to, to death. They've been falling. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Either, unfortunately, but it, 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 I don't know what it is, but there's, there's a lot of guys succumbing to brain tumors like Gary Carter, uh, a good friend of mine in Montreal, and, you know, and, and, and Champ Cancer. And, and, you know, Marvin, just old age, but, you know, you, you, you go down the line and, you know, the suicide, cancers, every, everything else is hitting our era. It doesn't affect the older guys, but it's affecting the, the guys in the 70s, the 70s, and, 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 and 80s and 90s. And, and I see that happening. There's got to be some correlation somewhere, somewhere. Now, do, about it. do you think it's anything yeah. dramatic? Obviously, you know, you look at what happened. You, you know, it happens a lot in the NFL with the concussions and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say that it's the same thing because you're, we're not dealing in a contact situation. But do you see any right. correlation, maybe, between uh, you know a certain generation of players maybe succumbing to something similar, like you know, you know, like that? Well. The only thing I can really think of is that chewing tobacco was running rampant. Guys had chewing tobacco in, in you know, during the games. Uh, you know, it was the 70s. You know, there was a, a lot of things that were off-the-field activities differently than, than today, although I and to disagree with that statement. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things back then were availably used uh, in, in baseball uh, that are, actually, I see on TV with the guys that are being readily used today. And chewing tobacco is one of them. Uh, I, I think a lot of that might have a correlation to it. Uh, but, I, that's the only thing I can really think of at this particular point. Uh, lifestyle changes, uh, you know, how they live, uh, you know, might have a lot to do with it too, or it could just be coincidental. Yeah, it absolutely I mean, can. Those, you know, those are the only options we have, you know. Those are the only options we have, unless we know something factual. Now, now listen, John, I want to thank you a lot for your time today, man. See you again sometime in the near future, and, uh, you know, Hopefully, hopefully the postseason continues to be as exciting as it's been this year. It's been it's definitely been fun to watch. Oh, it's been fabulous. I've been just enjoying it. You know, it's old school baseball, John, at its best. That really and, is. And you know, 
and, and we haven't really seen old school baseball being played until now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you, and you look at it, you know, most of the times during the year I go, yeah, okay, fine. That's cool. But now somebody turned on the light switch for these guys. Cause they're all playing old school baseball and, and it's very enjoyable to watch. Very enjoyable. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it definitely hits home for you know an old school player like yourself, man. Listen, John, thanks a lot, man. I hope to talk to you again soon. You got it, John. Thank you. You have a good one. All right, thanks, man. That was John D'Aquisto, former pitcher for the Giants in the '70s, and John John always does a great job, man. He's got a lot of a lot of interesting things to talk about when it comes to pitching and the way the game has changed today. And you know, we got a good uh, good rundown of the playoffs with the Giants and the Cardinals and stuff like that. But um, right now, i got to take a quick break. We'll be back in a little bit. More pass ball after this. Cases empty, blah. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is, this is the setting for the greatest story ever told. Okay? Cases empty, blah. Cases empty, blah. Cases empty, blah. Cases empty, blah. Base is empty block. Which doesn't include last night's game. Yes, and which so he went 0 for 4, which normally he has been sitting on those days. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. This is John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. I definitely enjoyed the interview with John D'Aquisto very much. We kind of just jumped into it, man, and sometimes it's the way it works. You know, you pop on, go on the air, and bam, we're right into the phone call. Didn't even get to let you guys know if you obviously uh, if you're a fan enough you'll be watching the game already, but the uh, Tigers are ahead of the Yankees two nothing as they go now to the bottom half of the fourth, and let's be honest I mean the Yankees look listless out there they look like a team that has absolutely quit, and I think it's a shame, you know I think this is a, this is a point where they pretty much have thrown in the towel. Listen as a baseball fan I would like to see something different I would like to see the Yankees come out and show a little more energy. But just what you've seen out here from Chavez booting the ball early in the game to the couple balls that Teixeira misplayed in uh, the last inning where the Tigers added another run, let's be honest. I mean, you know, if the, the Yankees make some plays in the infield, uh, the Tigers haven't scored yet. And it's an unfortunate situation for the Yankees as, listen, the season seems to be going down the tubes right now, even with their ace out there, CeCe Sabathia, throwing the ball. And, listen, the guy's giving him everything he's got, but, you know, the Yankees aren't hitting. And they haven't hit all postseason. They have, you know, they had some issues all season with runners in scoring position, and it seems to just hit an all-time low once the postseason has started. And it's a shame because the Yankees are an organization, a team, a fan base that represents itself and puts a lot into being in the postseason and having success in the postseason. They expect to be in the playoffs every year. So you're looking at the fact that they're going into the bottom of the fourth inning without a single hit is not a good sign in a game that could very well be an elimination game. And, you know, maybe maybe a lot of us can get into the fact that we don't, you know, we don't think the Yankees are built to win a World Series this year. It's fair enough.
But right now, what's going on with this team is, you know, is, is unfortunate. And listen, I think they're going to need a lot to happen right now to avoid being eliminated today. And a four-game sweep to the Detroit Tigers is not going to be pretty. And, you know, as much as the fans have bitched and complained, and, you know, rightly so, you know, the Yankee fans should have his voice heard right now and talk about everything that they're frustrated with seeing. You know, a team that did not hit with runners in scoring position for the entire season goes out in the postseason, and they've taken a step below that because they're not hitting at all right now. And I'm not saying that Max Scherzer is going to go out there and throw a no-hitter today. But I tell you, man, it's getting really sad. And Yankee fans, I can't imagine any of you not going nuts right now just watching this game. You, know, you got your ace out there, CeCe Sabathia, the guy that you pay the money to you know, anchor your pitching staff. And there's no doubt that he's out there laboring a little bit. But you could tell he's running on 100% guts. And you wish that, that the guts that CeCe Sabathia has would run itself out to the other, the rest of the team. I'm going to put that on hold. I'm going to welcome in former pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, Dave Coggin. Dave, John yeah, Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes, my friend. You bet. You bet. No problem. Hey, man, first of all, I, I, know, I know I've apologized to you a couple times, but sorry about the little issues that we had the last time, man. I wanted to get you that recording, and, you know, unfortunately no it didn't work out, man. No worries. No worries. Not a problem. All right, cool, man. First of all, let's start out. Let's get in. Let's let the listeners know a little bit about PFA Baseball, everything you're doing with that. Yeah, sure. PFA Baseball is a program out here that I started about five years ago. Um, started out to, to kind of um, prevent players from getting injured and uh, turned more and morphed into uh, more of a training uh, mythology that just added prehab to a um, already kind of existing strength program that's been really successful for players uh, from – Youth, which we just kind of started getting into, all the way up to the pro guys, and a lot of the guys who have gone through the program um, from the beginning now are kind of maturing up into the uh, the uh, higher ranks. So it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, Stanford quarterback Josh Nunes is one of the one of my original guys, and then uh, there'll be a couple of big draft picks hopefully this season from UCLA and Pepperdine, and and uh, we've grown from uh, you know a couple people coming in once or twice a night to. Uh, uh, over about 100 athletes we work with uh, each week. So it's been an exciting kind of four-year run on getting these guys healthy and, and competitive and um, strong for their sport. No, absolutely, man. Now, you know, you, you focus a lot more on the, uh, you know, the, the, the mental aspect as much as the health and, you know, awareness and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that, that you do or you coach and you're, you're able to, you know, help these people with. I think um, – you know, just on a daily basis, the um, the mental uh, training that they get is just kind of um, just kind of through my past history, my experiences, um, and, and it's a beautiful beautiful thing to be able to, to kind of um, relate to these kids and, and for them to be able to um, look up to me and want to get to where I was at and hopefully beyond. And there's a, a lot of aspects that I bring to the table that. Uh, from a from a parent or an athlete standpoint that I've done, uh, you know, there's no parent that can kind of can tell me and say that, uh, well, you don't understand. Our our son's going through something that he may be a first round pick, you know. And I, you know, of course, I was a first round pick out of high school, so I know how that is. Uh, another athlete might say, well, we play two sports, played football or soccer. Uh, I played three sports in high school. I was scholarship to D1 schools from for football and baseball. So 
Um, there's a lot of aspects that I can relate to that these kids will um, be going through as I start to kind of re reach out to the elite athletes, and I see more and more of them here, uh, that maybe another facility or another person wouldn't be able to uh, command that kind of respect. And, and that alone um, gets their attention and, and allows me to give them the advice or tell them, you know, hey, this isn't something you should do, this is something you should do. And with social networks, they need a lot of that <laughs> because uh, um, I can easily follow these guys on Twitter or Facebook and, um, and make sure they're doing the right things, making the right decisions. And, and that's a big part of what we kind of strive to do for these kids. It's not just a, a workout of their physical body. It's a workout of their mind and being able to um, have a good vibe that they all kind of feed off of each other with. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with Dave Coggin, former pitcher for the Phillies. Now, did you did you anticipate anything while you were playing or as your playing career was going on that might have uh, given you, uh, you know, a little bit of an understanding that you may involve yourself in something like this after your playing career? No, I, I you know, I had one thought in my brain, <laughs> you know, when I um, when I played, and that was just to get to the major leagues and to be the best in the major leagues. And then when I got injured. Um, it shifted slightly, but it was just the same mentality of, hey, I'm going to get healthy and do whatever I can to get back into the big leagues. Uh, when everything um, was said and done, I wasn't able to achieve that goal, but on, along the way I was able to uh, meet and train with a lot of the top physical therapists and trainers and made a lot of connections that I, that I um, always had good relationships with uh, throughout. So when, um, when the, the, the day came where I just looked at myself and where my surroundings were and I said, you know what, this baseball thing's just not going to work out, I guess I should have listened to some, uh, some people's advice a year or two before that. But, you know, you have to make that decision on your own. And, um, and then from that point on, it was just like, okay, let's, um, what am I good at now? And um, uh, what do I have interest in? And when it kind of, um, I got in touch with USC uh, through some connections, and I went down to USC to be an assistant pitching coach with Tom House down there. He was um, really starting to kind of get involved in the biomechanics of, of, of pitching and of throwing, and also of um, training the joints and training the um, even the metabolism of athletes and trying to get them better prepared, not just from a um, mechanical standpoint, but physically uh, better. And that really kind of got me thinking and. and me into the direction that I, I really had passion with because I kind of saw that as a, as, a, a, as a door that would open that I could work with more than just baseball players. And um, ultimately, um, that was my goal was to, to not just be a, a minor league baseball coach sitting on a bus eight hours a day trying to get to the big leagues um, and not really being allowed to use your own kind of brain. You'd have to follow whatever the top guys were telling you what to do. And um, that didn't appeal to me. And what appealed to me was working with um, young athletes seeing them grow, seeing them get up to the level I was, and also seeing different athletes. Anybody who would throw something or hit something, I would be able to work with them because it all has the same principle behind them. And, uh, and that kind of just led it into it. So it never, wasn't any plan. Uh, it just kind of came about. And, and um, you know, I, I played with a lot of players who uh, in the same exact position as I am, probably had the same exact ideas to try to do what I do, and they, they just don't act on them. They're afraid to... Um, move on them. There's a, a good quote of a friend of mine, uh, Todd Durkin, who would say, uh, ready, fire, aim, and, and not ready, aim, fire, because you get so caught up on the aim part that you, you end up being afraid to shoot. And uh, um, I've always not been afraid to shoot, and, and I've always kind of gone after it. And when I have, um, you know, if it worked out uh, often, uh, if it didn't, I just uh, tried it a different way. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, one thing that I think is interesting that you, you hit up on, and everything that you got going up with uh, PFA Baseball, it, is that something that could help other athletes in other sports? Or is it something that you, you could kind of just stick to uh, pitchers and, you know, people that, you know, use their arms to throw a lot? Yeah, no, it's it's very much uh, relatable to any anybody, even a weekend warrior. Uh, the reason why it kind of – it did start as performance fitness for athletes, and it was um, – it was all about just athletes from all sports. And we still see some athletes from different sports. But, um, of course, my niche being baseball, and, and it just kind of took a life on its own when, when we started calling it PFA Baseball. And, and we have a hashtag saying here, PFA Strong, that uh, we put on all the shirts. And when, uh, when everyone kind of got and kind of picked up that vibe and, and um, in Southern California, you know, baseball's king out here, uh, it just turned into just – those mostly probably 99% baseball players in the workouts, but we um, we have been trying to branch out and been doing really well with other athletes. And um, although um, we'll probably never get away from our niche, and that's fine with me because I really enjoy it, it's going to be the, uh, the baseball player and not just a pitcher, but also hitters and position uh, position players, outfielders and pitchers. Because we really, even this off season, we're starting to see all our pro guys come in and. Uh, right now we have more hitters than we do have pitchers as of right now, so uh, uh, it's, in a, it's, it's a good dynamic. They know what's good for them. Um, when they come in and they work out, they get it, and they realize um, that this is what they need to do to get themselves ready for their career. Now, now listen, do you, you think that there's, um, you know, I'm kind of trying to make a segue into your, your playing career a little bit. Do you think that, you know, with the injuries and stuff, do you think that there was anything in particular that maybe you did wrong? that led to some of your injuries, which ended up, you know, ending your career? Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I, I say it all the time to um, anybody I'm working with, with for the first time, is uh, I learn more about mechanics and training and all everything about what I should do after baseball. And when I started to kind of look at things um, a little bit more scientifically and then also a little more critically just watching um, games on TV and, and realizing that, you know, so many things I was told, growing up and, and taught even in pro ball, they, they just weren't there. I wasn't doing they didn't. I didn't see them on TV. I didn't, you know, with high-speed analysis and all the new technology we have to take a look at pitching mechanics and, and throwing mechanics, um, you really start to see that a lot of these old-school um, teachings that were given to us as, you know, even as little league as, as our parents or as our little league coach or even up into the higher ranks. Uh, really aren't the right way to, to approach it, and there's better ways to, to do it. You know, I kind of tell people just because someone tells, comes up to you and says, oh, I played 15 years in pro ball or 20 years in pro ball, uh, to me it's just like, okay, well, let me hear what you're talking about, and then I'll make my decision whether um, you make sense because it's not just about, hey, do it because, uh, you know, I did this way or, or my coach told me and his coach told him and that coach coached Sandy Koufax. You know, <laughs> it's, it's usually that's kind of how the old – uh, baseball kind of mythology goes. Um, it's, it's definitely changing, but I look at my videos. I look at watch how I pitched, and I'm going. I just cringe, and I go, "Wow, there's there's bad mechanics that I had." But when you're throwing 95, 96, and you're getting guys out, uh, nobody's going to tell you uh, you need to um, you need to change this because it's going to keep you healthier for for your whole career. Uh, it's just it's just not going to happen. So you have to catch those kids when they're younger to be able to implement those things that are going to help that. Exactly, and this, once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with former Phillies pitcher from 2000 to 2002, and that's Dave Coggin. Now, Dave, as as um, you know, going back to your playing career while you're in the majors with the Phillies and in the Phillies organization, 
Did you feel um, Did you feel divided as far as you know you you coming in you know drafted a, you know in, a, in the first round number thirty overall in a nineteen ninety five draft? But did you did you feel in, in a spot where you were maybe put or divided between being a starter and a relief pitcher, or did you feel like you had an even chance to you know be a starter if you know you just stayed to what you had to? Yeah, I think um, I, I was obviously given the opportunity, every opportunity to um, be a starter by the Phillies. And regardless if I failed early on in my career, they had a plan in the past that I would stay on. And um, they definitely held up to their bargain. And, you know, I, I got to the big leagues because I had a lot of innings, and that helped me. I mean, the more innings I got, the more experience I got. So as a young pitcher coming out of high school, it's very important to me to, to be uh, a starter because you just, you just need those innings uh, to um, – to go through and then um you know when you when you get to the big leagues there's 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 the ceiling so that ceiling kind of stops and then everybody gets piled up in that ceiling so you better find uh whatever niche is your most successful niche so the phillies um tinkered with what i did i was was okay as a a starter but not um, nothing that would be warranted as great and um then they gave me opportunity to be in the bullpen which i made the most of and i actually felt more comfortable there so so you know it was um there wasn't any um, probably laid out plan besides hey keep him a starter as long as you can and and if he does well then we keep him if not he's going to um, try him in the bullpen so uh, they gave me every opportunity to, to be successful in that. All right, man. Fair enough. Um, now as we get into the bullpen thing, I th- I'm sure you know I was probably going to get to this again. I know we talked about it last time, but tell us a little bit about your uh, your, your little uh, bullpen thing, the little uh, thing you did with Dan Plesac. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm um, I'm definitely uh, famous for that thing. <laughs> if uh, you YouTube my name with, with Punch, Dave Goggin Punch, you'll know what we're talking about. But, uh, you know, it all came up with um, being in the bullpen and um, watching a game, and a, a play was made uh, in the outfield, and it was going to be on Sports Center. And, and um, I kind of thought to myself, oh, I'm going to kind of be standing there in the background of Sports Center for this big top play for all night. So I thought my friends would, would be calling me from home and telling me, oh, we see you, we see you in the, stand, or see you in the bullpen. And, um, so I, I told Dan Plesak, and I said, hey, Sack, do you think uh, it'd be kind of funny if um, you you threw a random haymaker and, and um, took me down to the ground in the background where only a few people would see it, and I could probably call my friends and tell them to look at it. Well, uh, he loved the idea. We did it, and um, before I knew it, I just thought it would be just in the background where only I would probably be able to point it out. Uh, but the uh, cameras pretty much zoomed in on us, and... Um, and they got a kick out of it, and we uh, made the MasterCard play of the day in Milwaukee and, and another uh, uh, chuckle down in San Diego. So uh, it, it, it was kind of a bigger deal than we were expecting it to be. But, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're kids being kids out there and playing playing that sport. It's, uh, it's just hard not to be a goofball when you're out there for uh, so many games and you're sitting there waiting for a phone call to come in again. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was something you, you did more than once, right? There was that one time in Milwaukee, and I think the one I'm, I'm trying to remember the opponent the second time when you guys were, where yeah. it might it might have been the first time or over yeah, in the right, time, yeah. right field first side. Time was in San Diego. Okay, first San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. Second time was in Milwaukee, um, and um, you know we came in the game uh, uh, in San Diego the third innings. We never knew, we, and you know we never know if it's on TV, so um, we usually have to wait for the game to kind of find it. But we came. Uh, I pitched in the sixth. And Dan pitched, uh, or Dan pitched the six. I pitched the seventh and eighth. And um, I came out of the game, and he's just screaming and yelling, um, laughing. And they got, they wanted us to go back in the dugout and check it out. And the whole Padre dugout was was watching it. And 
the whole Philly dugout was was watching it, and they're showing a replay coming back from commercial break. So, so uh, we definitely got a, a lot of attention on that night uh, for that. Um, maybe uh, you know, that was smart to do uh, to do that with uh, the with Dan Plesac. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Of course, Dan Dan is a you know character himself, and you know yeah, he really he's really actually does a very good job on the MLB Network. Yeah, he does. There's, a, there's another thing too. If uh, if you really want one of my more famous things is the uh, Dave Coggins pitching charts. If you really want to laugh, something done up in Philadelphia, uh, they play it in rainouts and things like that. So that's that's a really good one to YouTube as well if you ever get a chance. Now, nah, I definitely have to check it out, man. Yeah, that's a popular one. <laughs> Uh, all right, Dave. Listen, I want to thank you a lot for having some time coming on the show again, and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, things keep going well. Um, I'll give you one more chance. Just uh, plug, plug PFA Baseball. Let uh, let the listeners know where you can find it on the, you know, on the internet and Twitter and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at PFA Baseball. Uh, you can uh, follow me there, and, and you can check out the website at pfafitness.com. Give you a ton of information on um, any questions that parents would have coming uh, coming up, and I do a lot of blogs and articles and updates and. A lot of good information on the website, so uh, give us a holler and and, um, and don't be afraid to email me for any questions. I'll get to you as quick as I can. All right, Dave. Thanks a lot, man. Hope to talk to you again soon, buddy. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Anytime, man. That was uh, Dave Coggin, former pitcher for the Phillies between 2000 and 2002. Uh, the police act thing, and of course, you know, if you haven't if you haven't checked it out on YouTube, there's a couple instances where he goes out there. There's a fly ball hit. You know, around there, it just looks like a meaningless play. And uh, Dan Polisak just li- literally makes like he's clocking Dave Coggin right in his right in his face. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You got you definitely got to check it out. But, um, you know, obviously what's not funny is what's going on with the New York Yankees right now is, you know, you thought you thought it was getting tough before. And now the fact that Miguel Cabrera hits a two-run homer off of Sabathia, the game is out of reach. And, you know, over here in the studios, I was watching the game, but we know Joey Baboots, the big Yankee fan, uh, probably, you know, decided it was time to turn the game off, and now we got the History Channel on. So, obviously, can't keep track, you know, pitch by pitch anymore. But, uh, you know, as we're trying to dig up the game right here on MLB.com. And, you know, listen, man, uh, you know, if the Yankees, you know, if, if they, if, if they I, I think really everything going on with them is unfortunate right now. And that's usually what happens when a season goes down the tube. And it went from you know all the all the hopes and aspirations of this team really going into what it had to, what it had to do to uh, you know get to the next level to get to the World Series. They're in the ALCS. They beat Baltimore. They they played them well in that series. You know they came up with just enough to beat a good team in the Baltimore Orioles. And they went out there and they played the Detroit Tigers. They lost a couple close games here. And you know we thought the rainout that they had going to maybe give them a little more inspiration, a little better chance to go out there so easy. And what has happened, the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite that's happened here. You know, Miguel Cabrera, you know, launching a home run. The Tigers have gotten to the ace in CC Sabathia. They've beaten them. They've gotten to a point where this, this game is pretty much over. And if you can't, you know, unfortunately, it's been it's been long. You know, you hope the Yankees can kind of go out with some respect and dignity here. And I think that's real important. I mean, you got to see them. Hopefully they could come out there, score a couple runs. And I'm not saying tie the game at 6-6. Six six. I mean, it's 6 nothing now. But show some fight. I mean, Max, Max Scherzer hasn't given up a hit through the first four innings. He's obviously got his A game today. He's throwing the ball phenomenal. 
You know, he, he is throwing a lot of strikes, two-to-one strike-to-ball ratio, and the Yankees are just kind of flailing. And you hope if you're the Yankees, and that's this is what I really, really hope. And this is what a Yankee fan right now could take solace in, if anything. And I know the Yankee fan is pissed right now. The Yankee fan just wants to punch the wall. And they have every right to. But take some solace in the rest of this game. And if you're a Yankee fan, I would suggest you turn that TV on. You turn on TBS. And you watch the end of this game. And you watch your team represent with dignity. And show you something in the last five innings of this game. To make you proud. Maybe not proud because your team is not going to win. I understand that. I understand a Yankee fan would have been proud if they were up 6 nothing and Sabathia was throwing a no-hitter. I understand that. I get it. But get in there. Turn on that TV. Watch your team. And, and just show the passion of a fan. And just watch your team. Even if they're going out. And I know it's easy for me to say, being a Mets fan. Because I'm used to every year the team playing out the string. But I'll tell you, I watched that last game that they had during the regular season against the Miami Marlins. And I watched them going out there after losing the first two games of that series. Jeremy Hefner was pitching for the Mets. And I I knew there was nothing going to come of it. The Mets weren't miraculously going to make the postseason. It wasn't going to become a memorable season. It was already a season to forget. But I went out there because I was a fan. And I was watching the players that I root for and support. And I watched them finish off their season. Win, lose, or draw. And that's what the Yankee fans should do right now. Go out there. Support your freaking team. Because you know what? It isn't all roses. It doesn't. You're not given a championship every freaking year. The Yankees aren't the only team that are trying to win a World Series. There's 29 other teams that care just as much. And they may not all have things going well enough to be in that position. But, geez, they would, they would like to have something special to cheer for. But I tell you, every one of those other fans are out there supporting their team. And you know what? I know there's a lot of Yankee fans that are out there supporting your team right now. And, you know, I give you all the respect in the world. But I'll tell you, the rest of you that just think, if we don't win the World Series, screw them, get everybody out of here. Just go out there, support your team, watch the last five innings of this game, and take solace in the fact that your team goes out there and did try, though the results may not look like that. They did try. We're going to get an hour or two of the past ball show right here on MTR Radio Network. We're going to break. A little five-minute break. We'll be back a little more after this.